take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And um, who knows what that chapter, Exodus chapter 20, what is that chapter famous for? What does it contain? The Ten Commandments. Good. You're paying attention. That's great. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to see what God has to say about our work in the Ten Commandments. And I want you to know that your labor matters to God. What you do, how you do it, matters to God. Now, next week, I want to start a new series. I'm going to entitle that series, Back to Basics. Um, and even if you've been a Christian a long time, I know you'll be blessed by coming and hearing about the basic habits of righteousness, the basic devotional disciplines that God wants us to develop in order to be mature Christians. Pray for me, pray for each other as we approach this new series. But today I want to talk about your labor being important to God. Before I do that, let me ask the question, how many of you remember your first job? Your first job. Okay, some of you have to go back away. Some of you didn't raise your hand. I don't know if you've ever worked in your life. But I remember my first job uh, was picking strawberries. I was living in Oregon at the time. We went out to uh, to pick strawberries. We were picking, I think the farmer was just trying to provide work for young people, frankly. I'm sure he could have gotten the job done by professionals much better than hiring a bunch of junior high uh, kids. But we went out about five in the morning because he wanted to take these strawberries and put them out for sale in the morning. We were done by usually noon or one o'clock. So we'd get up really early in the morning. We'd pick all these strawberries. They were paying us, uh, some of you may be familiar with the term, a flat of strawberries. It's a box about like this. They gave us $2 to fill that flat with strawberries. And so for the rest of that year, I always thought about the price of things in terms of how many flats of strawberries it would cost me to buy it. You know, I really like that shirt or that pair of pants, but that's going to cost me five or ten flats of strawberries. You know, maybe that just isn't worth it. I hated picking strawberries. I have a tremendous amount of respect for folks who pick strawberries and uh, make money at it. You, the strawberries, of course, are on the ground. So you have to bend over. They hide behind the leaves. I remember the farmer coming through one of my rows. He said, you've not picked more than about half of the strawberries. Look at this. There's a strawberry here and a strawberry. All of a sudden, strawberries appeared where there had not been any strawberries before. I hated that job. I did. I just hated it. So the next summer, I said, um, my mom said, are you picking strawberries this year? I said, what are my options? She said, you can find another job or you can pick strawberries. Well, I did. I found another job. I hated that job too. <laughs> A lot of jobs you begin with, you decide, you know, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. And that's fine. But work, our work is important to God. And our attitude in our work is important to God. So let me uh, draw your attention, verses 9, 10, and 11 of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read this, we're going to pray, and then we'll see uh, what the text says. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy man servant, nor thy maid servant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. 
Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Again, verse 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Let's pray, and then let's see what this text says. Father, thank you for bringing us here today, gathering us, and as we approach your word, we recognize that we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to understand the meaning of the text and to see its application to our lives. I know everyone in this room, Father, works. Some of them get paid for it, some of them don't. But we want to offer our labor to you, to glorify you, to exalt you, to uh, avail ourselves, to use the grace that you offer us each day that we go to work, each time that we begin a task. So give us a fresh vision that our work is important to you and that what we do matters. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. First point in this verse is that God wants us to work. Six days shalt thou labor. God wants us to work. Now, you would think, talking with some people today, that, that work is a bad thing, right? How many of you have a coworker that just lives for the weekends? I mean, that's all he can talk about. Monday through Friday is what he's going to do Saturday and Sunday. And maybe he's focused to work and maybe he's not. But that, he, he's only working to make enough money so he can pay for the toys that he wants to use on the weekends. Or pay for the travel. Some people love to travel, and they're always talking about the next trip they're going to take. There's nothing wrong with travel, by the way. It's just that some people seem as if work is a necessary evil to life. Some people are reaching that age where they're thinking about retirement, and that's all they can talk about. Boy, when I'm retired, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Uh, one of the folks here is, is nearing retirement, and uh, he's one of these folks, and I admire you, gets up at 3, 3.30 in the morning to go to work. And he has had a couple of weeks off. I, I mentioned to him, you know, you must have enjoyed your weeks off. He said, yeah, I'm able to stay up until 3 in the morning to watch the stars. Everybody has their own set of priorities. And I wouldn't be up till 3 in the morning to see the stars, and I wouldn't want to get up at 3 in the morning to go to work either. So we sometimes see work as just this necessary evil. But that's not the way the Bible sees work. God encourages us to work. In fact, before sin, before Adam and Eve fell, God gave them work to do in the garden. It says that God put them in the garden to dress it and to keep it, to till it and to preserve it, to take care of it. There was work for Adam and Eve to do. Work is not a result of sin, is what I'm saying. Work is a natural way that God put us together. God wants us to work. Now, consider the difference. Some of you aren't familiar. You've not done a whole lot of uh, uh, comparison. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, comparative religion. But consider the difference between Eastern religions and our faith, Christianity. In Hinduism, in Buddhism, the highest goal of the really religious person is to become a monk or to become a nun and they don't do any work. All they do is hang around the temple and do worship things all day. I understand that when um, Buddhism was at its apex in Mongolia, one-third of all Mongolian men were monks at Buddhist temples. And they didn't do anything. And because they didn't do anything, they relied on other Mongolian men who were working for alms, for giving to to, to feed themselves, to clothe themselves, to keep the temples up. 
you can imagine the drain on the economy if one-third of the people considered themselves so religious they didn't have to do any work. But God created us to work. And God didn't put a division between spiritual work and secular work. There's no such division. He says, six days thou shalt labor. Second, I want you to see in this text that God works. And because God works, he says, here's an example for you to work. Look at verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Now, let me ask you a rhetorical question. I don't expect an answer to this, but did God take six days to make the earth because he just was really slow at it? Was he lacking in power so that he ran out? I mean, did as much as he could day one, and it was like, whoo, I'm tired. I'm, I have to go to sleep and wake up tomorrow and start on day two. And then day, get into day two. Man, I am so tired. Can't wait till tomorrow morning when I have enough energy for day three. Did God lack ability? Is that why it took him six days to make heaven and earth? The Bible says that's not it at all. The reason God took six days to make heaven and earth and then rested on the seventh day was to provide an example to you and to me about how we ought to work for six days and rest on the seventh. Now, I understand that God is different than we are because he's infinite. There are no limitations to God. You and I are not infinite. There's limitations to how much we can do. But the reason God even sets it out there that he works for six days and then he rested on the seventh is so that we will work for six days and then rest on the seventh. God expects us to work. God works, therefore humans ought to work. And God created us to work so you will feel most fulfilled when you have a task to do. Every once in a while, I hear the tragic story of somebody who retires. And in their mind, retirement means they're going to sit and watch television all day. And within three months, sometimes six months, they're dead. It's like there's no purpose in life anymore. I've met others who've said to me, well, I retired when I was whatever year it was. I tried that for two years and I got so bored, I went back to work. We just need something to do. My dad retired some years ago and, and he has stayed retired. We, we, we joke now he works as hard as he ever did. He just doesn't get paid for it. He builds things for his church and he builds uh, 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 greenhouses for a while. He's building greenhouses for friends. I'd say, well, how many have you built this year? Well, five or six or seven. He loves to build. He builds things for his house. He comes down and builds things for my house. He goes and builds things for my brother's houses. He just loves to work because work gives us purpose, doesn't it? That's why unrewarded work, work that seems pointless or fruitless, is really difficult to sustain because we like to feel a sense of accomplishment. Imagine if I said, okay, here's a pile of bricks on this side of the parking lot. I need you to move that pile of bricks to the other side. Okay, pastor, I'd be glad to help. We need it on the other side. You start carrying bricks over to the other side. You get all the bricks to the other side. Okay, pastor, what do you want me to do next? Well, now I need you to carry that set of bricks back here where they were. You'd say, no, no, you carry the bricks back where they were. I'm not moving those bricks. We like to feel like our work has purpose. And men, in particular, need to feel like their work has some purpose. Now you say, how do you know it's men? Well, because I've watched you ladies raise children. And if any work seems fruitless and pointless, it can be raising children. You tell them how to do something, you show them how to do it, and the next day they've forgotten. And you show them again, and the next day they've forgotten. 
And you ladies are so patient with your children. I, I have to admit, my wife keeps me from crimes against my children. I say, haven't they learned yet what they're supposed to? No, sweetie, sweetie, it's okay. That's um, part of what, what, when I say work, I'm not only talking about things you get paid to do. I'm also talking about people who work, raising a family, work, volunteering. They don't get paid, but they're still busy. God wants us to work. So again, when I say God wants us to work, I'm not saying you have to necessarily get paid for it. I'm not saying you have to draw a salary, but what is it that God has given you to do? For most of us, work is a primary means of supporting our families. Men, work, God has given you work as a primary means to support your family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 8, say, but it, 5, 8 says, but if any provide not for his own, he is worse than an infidel. My dad just drove this verse into my head. We were uh, teenagers when my brothers and I were teenagers when uh, we met my grandfather's neighbor. My grandfather's neighbor was in his late 30s, and he told us right there in front of my dad, he said, you know, I decided to retire when I was 33, and I did. And I thought to myself, that's amazing. He worked 13, 15, I don't know how many years, and he was able to retire at the age of 33. Well, he's able to retire because his wife kept working. And my dad was not happy. He said, son, you will not do that. Now, some of you are going, have met my dad. Some of you are going to meet my dad. You understand when my dad looks at you and he says, you're not going to do that. You don't do it. He said, if any man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. God's given us work as a primary means to provide for our family. God's also given us work as a means that we can use our talents and our abilities and our interests for him. That's why, and I've told my own kids this, you don't have to like the first job you have. You don't have to like the second job you have. You may go through a dozen jobs before you find something you feel like, boy, God put me on earth to do this thing. But you should find that task, that work that God has given you to do, and, and frankly, you should enjoy it. I believe God's given everyone in this room some talent that God wants you to use for his glory. Now, what, again, it may be paid, it may be unpaid, it may be volunteer. could be something you just do as a, as a hobby, as an avocation. But because you're doing it for God's glory, he is honored and he's exalted. So what is that for you? Every person's talent is different. But whatever work God's given you to do, don't be like that man who buried his talent in the earth. The master had given one guy ten talents, he gave another guy five talents, he gave one guy one talent. Now, this is not the, 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 the main point of my sermon, but have you ever stopped to consider why do you think he gave one guy ten and one guy five and one guy one? He had 16 talents. You could have just all given him five talents, for example. I think the master was smart enough to know which guy was the most productive and which guy was, you know, who's the average laborer and then which guy was probably not going to do anything with his talent. Don't be that guy. This week, uh, one of you made some, I don't know when you made the bread, but I received the bread this week, homemade bread this week. Now, my family has a soft spot in our hearts for homemade bread. And we really enjoyed that loaf of bread. You know, that brings glory to the Lord. When you use your talents 
for his honor and for his glory. God tells us that he's glorified in our work. Hold your place there in Exodus chapter 20 and turn with me to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 23 and 24. I want you to see that God can be glorified in our work. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. When you do your work, you're not doing it primarily for your boss or for your employer. You're not doing it primarily for whoever gives you the check at the end of the week, month, year. You're doing it primarily for the Lord. Now, your boss may not be able to keep good track of you, or maybe he takes too much time keeping track of you. But God always knows where you're at and what you're doing. And on more than one job, I remember my boss saying, you know, you don't have to work so hard. Well, you're right. I don't have to work that hard in order to get the paycheck at the end of the month, week, year, whatever. But you, I'm going to work that hard because I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm not doing it for men. The key to our work is not putting a cross on your business card so that people associate you with Christianity. The key to your work is doing it so well that people say, wow. Wow. In fact, I was warned before we started our project here, no offense, Kenny, but I was warned, watch out for the people that say they want to help you because they're Christians. Sometimes the worst scam artists are folks who say, I'm a Christian. They're trying to win your trust. Let's not, that ever, let, let's not have that ever be said of us. That we're, you know, using Christian as some title so we can win somebody's trust and do them a poor job. But also I want you to know that it talks about a reward here, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. A lot of times part of that reward is God multiplying our efforts, taking the little bit that we can do. Um, we're doing the best we can. We're putting our all into it, but he takes that little bit and he multiplies it. And it turns into something way greater than we expected. Those of you with children have seen God do that in your children's lives, haven't you? Here you are, you're working, and like I said, sometimes it feels like you're just banging your head against a wall. Nothing's happening. And then God gets involved in your child's life. He points them in the right direction. He brings the right trials, the right tribulations to put them right where they need to be. A couple of years ago, there was a Christian young lady. She shared this with me. She was, she was pretty upset with her parents. Her parents were Christians, and they had some expectations that to me seemed totally reasonable, but to this young lady, they didn't seem very reasonable. So she went to work, and she started complaining to her coworkers about how unreasonable her parents were. They had a curfew. They expected her to be home at a certain time, and they wanted her to work, et cetera, et cetera. And her coworkers said, you are an idiot. Your parents care enough about you to say something, to actually talk to you. Boy, that was God coming along and reinforcing something that the parents were trying to do at home. And I just rejoiced as that young lady relayed that to me and thought, you know, her parents are blessed people. You know, they're just doing the best they can. And then God gives them the reward of multiplying their efforts. So God wants us to work. 
But also I want you to see back in Exodus chapter 20 that God wants us to rest as well. Keep, uh, excuse me, verse uh, 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 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. This is Exodus chapter 20. Then verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. So God also wants us to rest. Now here in the Old Testament, God's referring specifically to the Sabbath day. That would be the last day of the week. We start our weeks on Sunday, so the last day of the week would be Saturday. But I want you to understand, if you go to Romans chapter 14, you'll see that to God, it's not the day that's important. In fact, I'll read to you Romans 14.5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth, regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. So I'm not saying that you have to keep a particular day of the week as a day of rest, but I can tell you that God still wants you to rest. Sometimes our problem is we're taking on responsibilities that God never intended for us to take on. But let me back up and help you think about this because until this week, I didn't give this any thought. Consider this admonition in light of the ancient world. Here are the Israelites. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to uh, protect themselves. They're trying to build an economy. And God says to them, I want you to work six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to take a day of rest. Are their neighbors taking a day of rest? No, their neighbors are working seven days a week. I remember seeing this in, Mon- in Mongolia. We would talk to people, explain to them, hey, we'd like to get together one day a week. We'd like to meet with you one day a week just for a Bible study. Hey, I am busy every single day of the week. Many of them worked six days, and then if they had that seventh day free, some of them worked seven days, if they had that seven day free, seventh day free, they had to do laundry, they had to do their shopping, they had to maintain their homes. They say, we are just too busy. Well, if you're too busy for the Lord, then yes, you're too busy. Because God does want us to take a day of rest. So what does this mean for the Israelites? They're only working six days a week. All their neighbors are working seven days a week. They're going to be tempted to say, but we are going to fall behind. Those guys have seven days to get their work done. We only have six days to get our work. How is this going to, how is this ever going to make sense? And the answer is faith. Faith that if you do things God's way, he will bless you. Faith for the Israelites that they could accomplish in six days more than their neighbors could accomplish in seven. And think about how God illustrated this for them with the manna. You remember manna? Once a day, they'd go out in the morning. The manna would be there in the morning. They'd go out in the morning. They would collect this manna, and they, that would feed them all day. But God only sent manna six days a week. And I'm sure some of them came to day seven and thought, boy, what are we going to do? But God had given them enough on day six that they could stretch that out into day seven. And they never went hungry. Again, sometimes our problem is we've taken too much responsibility on ourselves. We're trying too hard to get things done. We think, I just got to work harder. I can't take a day off. I've got to get this done. My in-laws, my wife's grandfather and her uncle now, they are strawberry farmers. No, it wasn't their strawberry field where I pick strawberries, a different guy's strawberry field. They're strawberry farmers. And those of you who've done some farming know that when the harvest comes, you need to get that crop in as soon as possible. 
especially in Oregon, because in Oregon, uh, it's likely to rain, even in June when the strawberry crop is on. And if it rains on your strawberries, you're going to lose a whole lot to rot. So the temptation is when strawberry season, I mean, when the strawberries are ripe, just to pick seven days a week. But her family, the Jacob family, has always honored the Sabbath. They'll work Monday through Saturday, 14, 16, 18 hours a day. But on Sunday, they always took a day off. I understand. I, I never observed this, but I understand. Sometimes her grandfather would go to church and he'd fall asleep in church. He'd be so tired from the week. But he always gave Sundays to the Lord. And after, what, 60, 70 years now, they have never lost a strawberry crop because they took Sunday off. It's a testimony to God's goodness. Some of you have given me that same testimony. I just told my boss, I can't work Sunday. Your job doesn't involve saving people's lives or something that is 24-7. I'm, I'm glad the hospitals are open every day of the week, for example. But your job doesn't involve that. You just said, hey, boss, I can't work Sundays. I'll work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but come Sunday, I need that day off. Sometimes you wonder if you're going to keep your job, but your testimony to me has been, your boss says, hey, I can respect that. And God has blessed you. Take time to rest. Take time for the Lord. Now, there's one more thing I want to bring out to this morning because this is about labor and about work. There is one work that we can't do. Some of you know where I'm headed with this. There is one work that we can do. As much as God wants us to work, he doesn't want us to try to earn our own salvation. He doesn't want us to try to work hard enough that we can get into heaven. Even in the last couple of weeks as I've been talking with people, they'll say things to me like, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. I think, think God's going to let me into heaven. That's not how it works. Some, some folks have said to me recently, yeah, I've done some things wrong, but you know, I've done a lot of good things in my life too. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done in your life. Nothing we can do is going to earn our way into heaven. And the reason is the Bible teaches us we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is anything I think, it's anything I say, it's anything I do that breaks God's law. And it only takes one sin to make me a sinner. Now, the truth is we're born sinners, but it's easier to see, it's easier for the human mind to comprehend that all of us have sinned at least one time in our life. Now, let me illustrate the, 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 the evil of sin because we're so quick to say, ah, it doesn't matter, it's just one sin. Imagine I'm making you an omelet out of eggs. How many of you have made an omelet in your life? Okay, so many of you have an idea what, where we're going with this. I'm going to make you an omelet. I'm going to put three eggs in this omelet. I crack egg number one, put it in there, it's good. Crack egg number two, put it in there, it's good. But when I crack egg number three, I'm not paying attention, and I put it in there, and I can immediately smell that it's a rotten egg. You know that sulfur-type smell that comes out of a I can immediately smell it's a rotten egg. It doesn't look good. And you know what I say? That's okay, the other two eggs are good. Would you eat that omelet? Of course not. You say, well, what you need to do, pastor, this is what you need. You need to add more eggs to that rotten one, right? No. You need to throw that out, and you need to start over when it comes to an omelet. The truth is, God is perfectly holy. God, in fact, the angels that are around God are constantly saying, holy, holy, holy. And even one of my sins is too much for God. Now, again, we were born sinners. I want to be clear about that. But we can understand that all of us, because we were born sinners, we've, we've done something wrong. We've said something we wish we wouldn't have said. We've done something we wish we wouldn't have done. And certainly, 
We know our own minds. We've thought things that we ought not to have thought. Thoughts of hatred, thoughts of anger or lust or greed. In fact, one of the commandments, one of the commandments that helps us understand that our thoughts matter to God is don't covet. Coveting is not something I say. It's not something I do. What is it? It's something I think. All of us have sinned. And there's nothing that we can do that we'll ever make up for, will ever atone for our sin. It's not a balance where I put all my bad things on one side, God puts all my bad things on one side, God puts all my good things on the other side, and and he weighs it out. That's not how it works at all. There are books, the Bible tells us, in heaven. And my understanding is those books contain a record of all my deeds. And if he finds even one thing, and trust me, he's found more than one thing in that book that's sinful, I'm not led into heaven. If that's all I had to say today, this would be a really sad church. Because none of us gets into heaven by the work that we do. It's only through Jesus Christ. Why is it that he had to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin? In fact, 1 Peter tells us that he bore in his body my sin on the cross. When Jesus died, he didn't die You or I die because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus didn't die because he was a sinner. Jesus died in my place to pay the penalty for my sins. I want you to turn to one other passage, uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we have the feeding of 5,000 people. Men plus women and children. It's an amazing miracle. And these Jews that have just seen Jesus feed thousands of people with just a few fish and a little bit of bread think, you know what? This is the guy we need to lead and to rule our nation. So they're chasing after him. They're following him. They're trying to to, to get his attention. They really want to make him king. And uh, at one point, they say to him, I'm in John chapter 6, verse 28. John 6, 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? They said, okay, Jesus, we just got to ask you, what do we have to do to do the works of God? What do we have to do to be pleasing to God, to make God happy with us? And here's what Jesus said in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Skip down to verse 47, same chapter, John chapter 6, verse 47. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Who is it that God the Father sent? Jesus Christ, God's Son, to pay the penalty for my sin. And the work that God wants me to do, the work that God wants me to do is to believe. That Jesus Christ died in my place, rose again, showing his victory over sin, over death. The Bible tells us, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of, your, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's one work that we can't do. And that's the work that is required to please God the Father to atone, to make up for our sins, and to gain entrance into heaven. 
When I get to heaven, God's not going to say, oh boy, you were a pastor. Come on in. He's not going to say, oh, you were a good father. Come on in. He's not going to say, oh, you were a nice guy. Come on in. Oh, you gave money to the church. Come on in. Oh, you, nothing I have done earns God's favor. He's going to look in his books. And one of them is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And he's going to find my name there. And you know it's going to be Jeffrey Scott Dean. And he's going to say, you get to come in because of what Jesus did for you. Do you know that your sins have been forgiven and that you have eternal life because you've believed on Jesus, God's son? Because you knew that there was nothing you could do to get into heaven and you just throw yourself on God's mercy. This is not the best illustration I've ever used, but it just came up again this morning, so it's sticking in my head. It's like when you get pulled over by the police officer and you've broken the law. And you know you've broken the law, and you know the police, over, the police officer knows you've broken the law, and he walks up to the side of your car, and what's the first question they often ask? Do you know why I pulled you over? And you decide, you know what, I'm just going to fess up. I was speeding. Yep, I ran a red light. Whatever it is, you knew what you did. And the police officer says, says, okay, I'll pay your ticket. You go free. That's what Jesus did for us. When we say, yep, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Jesus freely pays that price for my sin. Notice the cop doesn't say, oh, you can go free. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Your sin does matter to God. That's why Jesus had to pay the price. The one work we cannot do is to pay our own way into heaven. So if you're here this morning and you've never thought about that, you've never realized that Jesus Christ already paid the penalty for your sin. His resurrection shows that his sacrifice was sufficient. He won the victory. Then this morning, in a few minutes, as I give an invitation, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to match you up if you're a lady with a lady, if you're a fellow with a fellow, and show you, that, that person will show you from God's word how you can know your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. For those of you that are Christians, I want to encourage you. God wants you to work. God wants you to work. Again, it doesn't have to be a paid position. Some of you are at that stage in life where you wish you could work more. I I understand. God understands. But God wants us to work. But God doesn't want us to work so much we never have time for him. We never have that time of rest where we put him at the middle, at the center of our attention. Where we focus on worshiping him and focus on his word. If you say, well, preacher, you just don't understand how busy my life is. I say to you, you have to learn how to trust God. That you can accomplish in six days what you think it would take you seven days to accomplish. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, thank you that you take our efforts to raise our kids, our efforts to work at our, our place of employment, our efforts to keep up our homes, our efforts to keep up our cars. And so many times you multiply our efforts We thank you for your goodness to us. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection has paid the penalty for our sin and earned us a place in heaven if we will receive your gift. What is it that, what is that work that you want us to do to believe on him whom you sent? And I pray this morning, if there's someone here that is not a Christian, they don't know that their sins are forgiven, that they have eternal life, I pray that this afternoon would be the moment of salvation for them when they recognize their sinfulness and trust the 
finished work of Jesus Christ to pay the price of sin on their behalf. Father, for those that are Christians, some of us are too busy. We're not taking those times of rest that you call us to because we're convinced that we have to do it all ourselves. Forgive us, Father. Some of us are not busy enough. We've been lazy. You've called us to a work and we've not been doing it as unto the Lord. Forgive us. Open our eyes to truth this morning. And again, we trust your Holy Spirit to make the application to our lives that we need. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.